Oh, Father, we just love you this morning. We thank you for this time just to come and to be in your presence, just to worship you. And God, we pray that you were honored, you were glorified, and we pray this morning that you'd open our ears, open our hearts, God, to hear what you have to say to us this morning through your word. We love you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be using the English Standard Version for today and next two Sundays, rather than New Living Translation, because uh, I want us to memorize this portion of Scripture that we're going to talk about today, next week, and the following Sunday. And I think it's actually, I think it does a better job, the New Living Translation, of giving us a better idea what each one of these words are uh, translated in. So we've been talking about believing God, then we've been talking about loving without strings, and we've been talking about obeying without reservation. So we're on the week of loving without strings. Love is what we're going to talk about. And Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through verse 21, give us 12 elements or facets of love. And so as we study Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, look at it, take a, you know, look at all the different words and try to understand the meanings of them and present it, we receive some information that helps us understand what love looks like. Now, to know what love looks like, of course, we look at Jesus. The Father reveals all things through Jesus. And, but Paul here in Romans, by the Spirit leading him, gives us uh, some pieces of the love. And so he shows us what is going to make up the parts of the pieces that make up someone that loves, that is a lover. Lover of people, lover of God. Um, let's uh, look at 9 and 10, and let's just say it together and kind of learn to, to memorize this. I think before we get done today, everyone will know what it is. Read this with me, verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I bet you're almost there. Look at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Say that with me. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so this week, just really concentrate on those two verses and get that memorized. And that's all we're going to talk about today is those two verses. And then next week, we'll look at two more verses perhaps. And then as time goes, we'll see the whole chapter. And if you do it that way in pieces, you'll be able to understand the whole chapter. And so we're talking about love. Now, love is a choice. We choose to love, okay? Love is not the flu. It's not an emotion. We don't catch love. We choose to love. Now, there are feelings associated with love, but when people say they fell in love, they didn't really fall in love. They chose to love. It wasn't like they caught the, a disease or something or bacteria flowing around. And then all of a sudden they're melted together. But they're at, when people come together and choose to love each other, they come together and, you know, all those different things are at work and love takes place. But both people choose to love. Love is a choice that we make. Now, 
loving the way the Lord wants us to, loving without strings. And, and that's the difference between uh, the, the love that people can produce themselves. Everyone has to some degree the capacity to be able to generate some kind of love, right? Uh, we're taught to love, we're educated to love, we think love's a good idea, but man can only love up to a point and there's always strings attached to that love. You know, I, I love you if you make me laugh. I love you if you don't judge me. I love you if, you know, uh, I get something in return from you, right? And we're conditioned to love that way, but God wants us to love without strings. That's not possible from a human perspective. It's something that only the Holy Spirit is able to bring. Now, there is great friction in our spirit when we transition from living by the flesh to live by the spirit. That's where the agape love is. Great friction. My understanding of that is that you're driving down the road and you get stuck in the ditch and mud is up to the door. I mean, you're flat stuck. You try to get it out of there, you can't get it out of there. Guys stop, they try to push you out of there. You can't push it out. It's too stuck. Now, you got to get something bigger. You got to get something big. Perhaps you even have to get a wrecker. Perhaps you have to get something with a winch or something to have enough energy to bring you out of that ditch. Now, to love like God wants us to love requires a vehicle, a power that's much bigger than we are. Because it, it's, there's a lot of friction that happens in getting a lot of energy that's released and getting that car out of that ditch. It's got to jerk it on out. For us to love the way God wants us to love, we have to have a greater power than ourselves. Now, the Holy Spirit comes to work in us, and the Holy Spirit is always working in our lives, in our hearts, in our spirit, and he is placing within us that deposit of himself, and that deposit is love. And what happens inside is love begins to grow. It begins to take a hold of us. It begins to mature in us. And what happens in this, and when the friction really gets difficult and it really gets hard and there's tension and great, you know, honestly, it puts us in a vulnerable position and we just begin to get queasy and scared and all those kind of things, is when love begins to take over and that friction causes us to reach out there and push it back down and we suppress that love. And we, we're not able to love well. We don't grow to the point of loving unconditionally or loving without strings. And, and probably, most likely, men are the greatest uh, problem with that. You know, uh, all of us have been raised a certain way. We've been raised to be a man, hopefully. And, you know, of course, men don't show emotion. Men don't cry. Men are taught not to be vulnerable. Sometimes directly they're taught that, but mostly I would think they're taught indirectly. And if you're going to be a man, you're not going to allow yourself to be out there and, and, and before people and be vulnerable, right? And so when the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, guys, 
we are conditioned to suppress that love because we've been told that men don't do that. And there's a lot of friction in us. And what we need to learn to do is to let that love flow and grow and, and, and just overrun in us and release it and let it happen. Because that's what the Holy Spirit desires to do. Now, Jesus cannot come into someone's life and the people stay where they are in love. They can't stay in a love that, that, that has strings attached to it. You can't stay there. Now, if you stay there, man, you're miserable. It's difficult to have that kind of friction in your life. And so we have to learn to love. All of us have to learn to love. We have to learn to submit to the Holy Spirit in our life. We learn to pray. We learn to read the Scripture. We, we learn to connect with the body of believers. And connecting with a body of believers is one of the training cycles for us learning to love. Because we have to learn to get along with hard-to-get-along people. We learn to love them. We learn to love grumpy people. Now, one of the things that happens in the body of Christ today, God puts them with people that helps them learn to love. They're difficult people. They're hard people to love, and, and they escape that. And so they never really truly love because they're always bouncing around, and they never really get connected with a body of believers because... They don't want to get too close because it makes them uneasy, nervous, right? Makes them vulnerable. And so that's not what God wants. God wants for all believers to be connected with a body of believers with all the warts, with all the struggles, with all the headaches, with all the issues that people have and to get close with them and learn to love. Learn to love. I've often said my gift to the body of Christ is you have to learn to love a difficult person. There you go. My job is to harass, and so that's what I do. <laughs> learn to love. So... Love also produces more love. We learn to love. To, we learn to love by learning to walk by the Spirit and letting the Spirit control. There's great friction when we learn to love, and we have to not suppress that love that is growing us. And one thing that happens when we learn to love, to love without strings, love produces more love. It gets stronger, it gets deeper, it gets more contagious, it, it, it starts jumping rivers, jumping rivers. Long time ago, uh, uh, Benny Smith, Reverend Benny Smith had retired, he was living in San Angelo, and he took it upon himself to meet with me every week and mentor me as a new young pastor. And I'll never forget, and I've told you the story to you three or four times, I, I think about this story a lot. And he told me that when he was a young man living in southeast Oklahoma as a dairy farmer, that revival came to his church, and that's when he was called to preach. And, and I said, well, how did it happen? He said, well, 
This is how it happened. Down in Texas, in south, in northeast Texas, a little small country church out there had two deacons in it, and these two deacons were, were really influential in the area, quite wealthy, both of the guys, and they hated each other. And they hated each other because through the years, somehow or another, a land dispute happened between the two of them. It was over a sliver of land. They were neighbors. And as the Red River began to move and change its course and all those kind of things, somehow or another, one lost land, one gained land, and it caused great conflict in their lives, in their church's life. The church struggled with all kinds of, of experiences, Benny said back then, and, and they trace it all back to these two guys just can't get along. Pastors would come and go because one would like him, the other one wouldn't like him. And, and there was always, they, they were picking sides and business meetings. And, and, and you can imagine that they couldn't, not only could they not spell chandelier, they could never vote to put one up. That's an old joke. <laughs> but somehow or another, in, in the course of a service, the Holy Spirit got a hold of these two men. And one went to the other and basically probably said something like this, enough's enough, isn't it? I mean, we, we're letting land get in the way of us being friends again, working together again, loving each other again. And, and those two men walked down to the front during the invitation that they called that day, and those two men confessed their sin to the congregation and they forgave each other. And revival happened in that little northeast Texas church. People started coming. The church started growing. The people started loving each other again. And, and revival, renewal of faith and energy to live for God, broke out. And Benny said, somehow or another, that love jumped the Red River. And that love jumped into his church. He said his pastor heard about what had happened down there in that Northeast Texas church and asked those two men to come up and share in their church. And he said his life was completely changed after hearing those two men stand before that congregation and weep and tell how sorry they are that they caused such harm to the body of Christ and to each other because they allowed a land dispute to get in the way of what God wanted to do in their lives. They weren't loving each other. And Benny said the Holy Spirit began to work in his congregation and he was just a young man starting out as a dairy farmer. And during the course of those days, he began to struggle with a call to preach. And he said they had a revival uh, there in the middle of summer. And he said, man, he said, you know, during that revival service, he said, I reached over and grabbed Hazel's hand. And he says, I'm just struggling so much. I believe we're called to go and be preachers. And Hazel was already in agreement with that. Now, he goes home and he goes and checks the barn on his dairy cows and some disease had taken over and half of them were already dead. 
in the morning, by the time the vet got there, the rest of them were sick, and they died that day. So when Benny would talk about his call to preach, he said, when God kills all your dairy cows, you're called to preach. <laughs> and love jumped the river. You know, a lot of churches are known for great facilities. I saw one last night at a wedding. Holy cow. Man, they, they got a bookstore in their church. Man, they got all kinds of stuff in there. They got a chapel just for weddings that looks like it would be in Italy somewhere with big stained glass and, and uh, marble kind of rock on the floor. And it's just, man, I was going, this is unbelievable. This probably cost $25 million, you know? Bells were ringing. They had automated bells. Ding, 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 ding. You know, it sound like I'm in, I'm in uh, London, England, something with the bells ringing or something. Beautiful, huge, massive. You know, and, and when they talk about that church, it's, man, it's, it, they, talk, they call it a mall. It's huge. Some churches are known for a real great preacher. You know, he's on TV. He's on the podcast. Everybody wants to hear him. Everybody wants to go hear him, you know, and those kind of things. So some churches are known for an extreme theology or some kind. You know, some churches just have a bent to them that there's something that might be kind of different that they hold to, and they're known for that. Let me tell you what I, what I would love for our church to be known for. I, I would love for our church to be known as a community of love, that love is present and love is powerful, and love is overflowing. The facilities are okay, right? Budget is okay. The preacher is average at best, maybe one or two good ones out of ten. You know, not much there. Doesn't look good either. Can't be on TV. Scares too many people, right? Doesn't have a big billboard with his face on it because it, too many wrecks happen on the highway, right but known for love but known for love for known for just loving people and loving god the way god desires mother teresa saint teresa of calcutta quotes these things on love not all of us can do great things but we can do small things with great love Spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. She said, being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everyone, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. Intense love does not measure, it just loves. I believe God loves the world through us, through you and me. That's what Mother Teresa said. That's what Mother Teresa did. You ought to go and look up the story of Mother Teresa. So let's look in Romans 12 here and, and, and talk about these four aspects for today about love. First of all, verse 9 says, let love be genuine. Love must be sincere. Love without hypocrisy. We have a lot of fake in the world today. We got fake news now. You hear all about fake news. 
Never heard about fake news till lately. We got fake news, all right? You got fake people, a lot of fake people. And you have fake love. Fake love has always been around. Fake love is when people don't really love, but they act like they love. They're being an actor, which is the word here about sincerity or being genuine, authentic. You don't act like an actor that's in a play that puts on a mask and pretends to be something else. And so right away, the Word of God here says that our love needs to be genuine. Eugene Peterson, the message, says about this scripture, he translates it this way, love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. And so if we are going to truly love without strings, it's got to be genuine, sincere. It can't be fake. And then he says here, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That's what love looks like. Love abhors what is evil. We don't use the word abhor very much. I looked on the dictionary, and it was interesting. It was used mostly in the 1500s. And then a little more in the 1600s, and it began to drop off in the 1700s and 1800s, and, and, and today it's kind of non-existence. People don't walking around going, I abhor that, I abhor that. But we do say, I loathe that, I detest that. And probably what we're most likely to say today is, I hate that. Oh, don't use the word hate. Let me, let me share with you where, where you should use the word hate. We hate that which is evil. If we are going to love, then we have to hate evil. We can't love the world and love God. That doesn't work. You can't love God and love money. The Scripture says that doesn't work. It also doesn't work that you love God and love evil. The only way we can truly love is for us to hate, abhor evil but we hold to what is good. So how does that work? What does it look like? Probably the most emotional and the most probably uh, touchy issue today, especially when it comes to the culture in the world, is homosexuality. And, and, and now we're hearing about uh, transgender, about um, uh, female or, or male uh, can't think of the word right quick, but they're not quite sure which they are. There's a confusion going on, okay? Now, uh, I think that the book of Romans clearly talks about the sin of homosexuality. For me, I interpret all those things through Jesus. Jesus clearly said that marriage is, between, is, is to be between a man and a woman. Amen. Matthew chapter 19, Okay? Now, the world today is pushing back on us, saying to us that we must not love then. And if you do not say that it's okay for homosexuality and transgender and all those other things in the, in the uh, little acrostic that they're using today, if you don't say that this is okay, then you're a judgmental bigot. And that's not love. Well, in my opinion, Romans, tw Romans 9 says that if you don't say what is wrong, then you don't really love. Now, one thing that 
the world doesn't understand, and we must show them and we must teach them, is that you can abhor what is evil and you can hold fast to what is good. Now, if, if someone is involved in a sin, whatever that sin is, I'll use gluttony because I struggle with it. If, if someone is involved in gluttony and we don't abhor that, if we don't hate that sin, then we're not really loving. And, and the world today says we need to be so, you know, love is just being okay with whatever people do, whatever people believe, and whatever people want to be. That's not love. That's not love at all. It's not love until we say, wait a minute, I, I loathe that, I hate that. I mean, we are to hate bullying. We should hate bullying. Love hates bullying. Love hates injustice of any kind. Love hates suicide. Hates it. Hates what it does to the family. Hates what it does to people around them. That's what love's got to do. Love has got to be so strong in us and so moving and powerful that when we see injustice around us, we act. Love is a verb. Love doesn't sit still. Sit still. Love moves. Mo love gets involved. Love is always abhorring what is evil, but holding on to what is good. In the body of Christ, we should abhor loneliness. We should abhor people that say they don't have any friends. Wait a minute, who said they don't have any friends? Man, that we're changing that. We're working that. We're going to drive them nuts. We're not, going to, we're not going to sit still and let that happen. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't idly by sit back and not, not address issues that people have. Now, love directs us how to address those issues. Galatians 6 says, we are to restore people gently. You who are spiritual, restore fallen brethren gently, with love, with compassion, with empathy. Not just sympathy that you said, I feel sorry for you, but empathy, we literally identify with them. That's love. But this notion that today we can't be people that say that is right and that is wrong. If we say something is wrong, we don't love. That doesn't go along with what the Scripture teaches us about what real love is. And so you're going to have to bite the bullet on this one. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be labeled as a bigot, as a, as a uh, perhaps a hick or a, uh, a judgmental believer. Judgmental, you're one of those judgmental Christians. You've got you've got to let the love flow. Now, I do have a belief that one of the reasons why segments of our society believe that the church is full of judgmental people is because they've seen a lot of that, and they've heard a lot of that. I remember hearing not too long ago one of the young ladies in our community, uh, she uh, became pregnant without uh, being married, and we put her to work in the nursery. We invited her to come on in and get involved with it. And, and I got word back that the mama said, let me tell you something. I told some people at my work that because my daughter got pregnant and, and what took place and, and how she's been welcome in the church and how you guys let her work the nursery and you're doing this. And, 
And, and she said, I shared that at the workplace, and, and someone spoke up and said, at my church, they would never allow that. Why not? Because she's setting a bad example. She's not doing the right thing. She should be ostracized because we don't want anyone to be out there saying that this is how it's supposed to be. Now, I want to tell you, that's not how it's supposed to be, okay? You should not have sex before you're married. You should not have sex with another woman or man outside your marriage. That's what the Bible says. That's the way it's supposed to be. I abhor what is evil. I abhor premarital sex. I abhor uh, uh, adultery. I abhor cheating. I abhor that. I think it's wrong. I don't think you should cheat on your wife. Wife, I think you, you don't cheat on your husband. That's clear in Scripture. Abhor that. But you cling to what's good. And you love that person that committed fornication, adultery. And so we welcomed her. We allowed her to work in the nursery, make a little extra money so she can buy a diaper one day, whatever, you know. And, and we, 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 we do our best to hold to what is good. Now, we would not at all parade her before the church saying, this is the model we want all the teenage girls to follow. Why? Because the Bible's clear about that. Should she have waited before she had sex? Yes, absolutely. Did she? No. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to kick her out of our family. No. No, absolutely not. We're going to love her. We're going to help her. We're going to struggle with her. And I think that is what it means to abhor what is evil but hold fast to what is good. That's what we are to be. That's who we are to be. That's love without strings. Okay? We hold fast to what is good. What is good? That precious girl. She's, she's precious to the Lord. She's still precious to the Lord. Does the Lord condone her sin? No, he does not at all. He doesn't condone my sin neither. And since I'm not perfect, I can't throw a stone. I can say, you sin, I sin. You know, and this, there are consequences for your sin. Obviously, we know there are consequences for our sin, but we hold on to what's good. Now, there's two things here that I think have got to be clearly laid out for us. Boy, do we need to abhor what's evil. There's not enough abhorring what is evil in the body of Christ today. There's not enough of it. There's not enough disgust in us about bullying. There's not enough disgust in us about sin. There's not enough disgust in, the, uh, disgust in us about people not loving each other. We need to get sideways about that. We need to get sideways about gossip. We need to get sideways about slander. We need to get sideways about not sharing our faith. We need to get sideways about not loving another brother in the church. We need to get sideways about jealousy. We need to get sideways about envy. We need to get sideways against stinginess. We need to get sideways about it. Now, if you don't know what sideways means, it's the old school word of saying, boy, I'm telling you, you've had enough of that. And you're sideways with it. 
And by gosh, you're going to do something about it. That's, we need to abhor what's evil. But at the same intensity, we need to hold on to what is good and love them with all of our heart. Love them with all of our heart without strings. All along the way, saying this life is going to be a problem for you and you're going to have difficulties because of your choices that you're making. But love along the way. Balance. Verse 10. Love must display tender affection. Love one another with brotherly, brotherly affection. <laughs> there you go. It literally means two Greek words joined together, philos, which means tender affection, fondness, and devotion, and adelphus, which translates into uh, brother. Now, adelphus literally means one born of the same wound, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Tender affection owed to those born from the same wound. Womb. Now, we're born again. We're regenerated. We believe in a regenerated membership. I listened to a preacher this weekend, and he talked about because the statistics say this number of people will not believe in God, and this number of people will not believe in the Bible, and this number of people will believe in same-sex marriage, and this number of believers, da-da-da-da, that that is the same statistics that are in his church. And when I heard that, I went, you don't believe in regenerated membership. I'm here to tell you that if in here, if we took a survey and the beliefs in our body of believers were the same as the world, something's wrong, wrong, wrong. We're regenerated. We're different. We're changed. We're born again. We're born from the same womb, God's womb. We're born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. So you are my brother, and, and I am your brother. We're twins. No, we're not twins. We're brothers. Didn't work out. There is to be a special affection for God's people among us. First John says, one of the signs that we're born again is we love each other. You love me? Do you love that person sitting next to you? No, that's your husband or wife. You can't do that. Do you love the one sitting three steps down from you or in front of you? Do you love grumpy believers? Right? Do you love those people that snub you? You know what snub means? They walk by you and they don't even look at you. They're better than you are. You love them. Abhor the snubbing, but hold on to what is good. I'm not going to come back to the church, Lee. Why? Well, because you snubbed me. What did I do? You walked right by me and didn't say nothing to me nor my wife. Sorry. Didn't see you. When was that? Sunday morning. I wonder what I was thinking. Maybe about the sermon. I get really single-minded. Can you give me some slack with that? No. Abhor what's evil, cling to what's good. 
Love, love, love. Love the people who are grumpy. Love the people who are hard to love. Love them. Love the people who are really different than you are. We are absolutely family. Family. Let me tell you something. I, when, we've had a lot of people go to Christ Chapel with the new facilities they have over there with the kids. It was obvious yesterday during the, the funeral we had. They're, they're family. I miss them. You know, see, so don't take it personally. They've left us. I tell you what, I take it personally because I invested a lot of time in them. And it, it really does bother me that they just went without a word, without letting us know or letting me know. Maybe they'll let you know, but most 99.9% didn't let me know. And, and I saw them as family. I mean, I know it's cool. I drive by it every single day. It's spectacular. If we had $8 million, by George, we'd do something similar. I'm telling you. I'd love to have something where everybody enjoys and it's, it's beautiful and the kids can just go wild and play every game imaginable. That would be awesome. But, man, they're family. And I, I grieve over that. I grieve when people leave the church because they're mad about something. I take it personally. You're not supposed to take it personally. I read all these things. It's going to drive you crazy. You take every time somebody gets mad about something and leave. I, 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 it, it takes, it, it grips my heart. I'm here to tell you, it's out in the open now. You know that. I, I, I've seen people different places. I've seen people in the Walmart and they turn around and walk away from me. I mean, what did I do? I just preached the heart, my heart out. We, we just don't have facilities that compete. But we love. Now, I recognize that, that people need more than that sometimes, and there's individual statistics and all those kind of things, and, and I, I, I recognize the struggle, what it's like to have teenagers that don't want to go to church with you because their friends aren't there. My daughter, totally transparent, my daughter didn't want to go to church here either when she was a teenager because of how her daddy and mom were treated at times. But you hang on and you love. And, and I believe that, that what she went through in high school and in the church, because she was the preacher's daughter, is why she can go to Mozambique all by herself and walk down dirt roads where people are killing each other and just happy as a lark in that type of situation. Get malaria two or three times a session, just rejoicing. Now, she's far more happy there than here. We see it, I see it every day of her. But it was those testing times that the Lord used to put her in that situation. And what bothers me is a lot of Christian people in our community, because they won't work out problems, they won't love with brotherly affection, they don't receive the learning they need to have. I sat down with a family about two or three months ago and, and talked about different issues, and, and some, most of their issues was with me. And they were telling me what they were used to with a pastor and what that pastor looked like, what that pastor sounded like. And I said, I get that. You, you realize I'll never be like that. Yes, we understand that. But, but do you understand that that perhaps the Lord sent you here because you need something different for a while? Well, but he never talked about things like you talk about them. 
Okay, maybe it's a different season. Maybe you need to get tougher. Maybe you need to be spoken to differently. Maybe you're too soft. Maybe that pastor is too soft. Of course, then it was over with because I was criticizing that pastor that they loved so much, and I made a mistake right there, and I backed up. I apologize, but the mind was made up. We are to love each other with a brotherly affection. We're from the same womb. We're from the same womb. And that's how we're to love each other. And love must honor others. Now, here's a place in verse, the second part of verse 10, where we're given the right to be competitive. We're, we're not to be competitive with much as a believer. But here, it literally says, outdo one another in showing honor. The best way for me to think about this is, I noticed last night, people arguing and trying to outdo each other with who sits in the very back seat of the Tahoe. I was laughing because I'd done studied this and I thought what was going on. They're competing with each other about who sits in the back. One guy was insistent. The guy that was the most insistent about sitting in the very back has the longest legs. All the way home and all the way there, he was the most uncomfortable. On the way home, he was the most uncomfortable. He was outdoing each other with honor. He was saying, and I understand, when got back in late last night, got back in the Tahoe, Tahoe, that guy jumped in there and went in there first, and he made sure he had that back nasty seat with his long legs. He outdoed. It says outdo, but you don't, what do you, what do you, you don't put a plural on that, do you not? He outdid us in honor. I think it should be outdoes. I understand outdoes a lot better. <laughs> Do you not out understand outdoes? By gosh, we should outdoes each other. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we should be that competitive with each other about outdoing each other with honor. Honor means that you honor them. They're more important than you are. You do not see yourself as more important than you should. Romans 12, 3 talks about that. You see them as better than you. There's no in the world you're going to let them have the worst seat. Kyle White understands this. Kyle White, every single Monday night in our Bible study, he sits outside the circle. Every single Monday night we say, get in the circle. Get in the circle. And he just doesn't want to get in anybody's way. He's outdoing us in honor. And I'm sick of you obeying the Bible. Get up here and get in the group. E. Stanley Jones was a great evangelist 150 years ago. He preached on love a lot. And he preached on love, and this leader of another church walked up to him and said, Reverend Jones, there, there's a man in our church, a leader in our church that doesn't love me, doesn't love others. He's always causing trouble, and he's threatening to split the church right now as we speak. What should I do? What should I do? He says, I've preached on love, and I've preached on love, and I've preached on love. What should I do? And E. Stanley Jones said, 
increase the dosage. That's what we're going to try to do. Ushers, come forward.